um, Isaiah 40, 12 to 26, but we will go to 31. Now, you do see in parentheses, what does it say? Overview. So um, I'm going to give you a big picture of what we're going to tackle in the next several weeks. I'll be gone for two weeks. Bill is going to bring us back to the Sermon on the Mount, and then I'll come back again, and for three weeks we'll work through uh, this section of Isaiah 40. And um, it's been quite a few lessons as we have worked through chapter 40, and we are intending to go through chapter 48. And so you say at this pace, um, when are we going to get to chapter 48? But you may remember that Isaiah 40 was so important because this lays the groundwork for everything that's going to be said uh, in the coming chapters. So we have to get this right, understand the context, how is God making his argument for the people of God. Now, I do have questions for you. Uh, here they are. Question number one, have you ever doubted God's abilities? Hmm. Uh, have you ever wondered if the promises of God would be realized. God, is that going to come about? I know you promised it, but there is a question. Have you ever felt that there was a conflict um, with what you accept is true and what you feel is your reality? And say it differently, I know it's true, but I don't feel that way. And I think if we're to all be honest, it's some measure, in some way, we have had some doubt. We have not had the faith that we should have. And I would think there have surely been times when uh, what we accept to be true has been in conflict with what we feel. Now, of course, we have to be careful of making any decisions based on our what? On our feelings. And feelings are just inherently bad uh, because feelings that are guided by a mature mind and a person is walking the spirit is perfectly fine. But there are definitely times in life if we were to make decisions based on our feelings we would make poor decisions. And I would say that some of you throughout your life, uh, you've made some decisions based on feelings and you look back and say, oh, I wish I had not done that. I wish I had stopped. I wish I had paused. I wish I had informed myself better before I made that decision. Feelings are very strong. How many times have I counseled someone? And I'm sure Bill would say the same thing. You're counseling someone, they're in a relationship and you say to them, I don't think this is the best relationship for you in no city, but I feel I'm in love. Mm, I know someone. <laughs> I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to say a word. <laughs> I feel like I'm in love, right? And feelings can change. And you see them three months later, and they break up. And what happened to your feelings? I hate them now. <laughs> they go from one gamut to the other. So we have to be careful. Someone may say, well, I feel like this is right. And on a very serious note, there have been times I had to confront people. And they're in an illicit relationship. And they'll say, I feel that it's right. I've even had people say to me, um, I know God wants me happy. This feels right to me. And they'll go on in the relationship. Well, God, at times, in his graciousness, uh, allows people not to always face the full consequences of those decisions. And for that, we should say amen. <laughs> uh, but there are other times when we have to face the consequences of those decisions and face them. And now in this section of Isaiah 40, we a, a new section. 
We have dealt with verses 1 to 11, which was this message of comfort that God is going to give to his people. And now I love the argument of 12 to 26. It is so beautiful. Because now the people of God would have been saying, uh, are you sure that God can deliver? Are you sure that he can bring us back to the homeland? Are you sure that we can be restored? It sure doesn't feel that way. And then they would look around and see their circumstances. And not only does it not feel that way, I look around and the information that's informing my mind is saying, I'm not sure that God even loves us anymore. But we tackled that issue even last week, because when you look at verses 10 and 11, it says that he, this one, is going to come with might and with a ruling arm, but he's also going to come like a shepherd. And he's going to tend for you and he's going to care for you and he's going to watch over you. He loves you. And that is a great affirmation that all of us need, isn't it? The sense that God still loves us even when we have failed. And I can readily uh, ask this question and I say to you, have you ever failed? I'll answer it for you, yes. <laughs> you have failed. Have you failed multiple times? I'll answer it for you again, yes, you have. Does God still love you as a child of God? I'll answer it with you. Yes, he does. It is a great reality. And so with the people of God, despite their sin and despite their, their covenant treachery, God still displays his covenant love towards him. And that is a great truth for us today in 2022, because that same God that loves then in that way is the same God that loves today. Amen. Nothing has changed in the living God. And why does nothing change in the living God? And I've said this many times before, and you'll hear me say it many times in the future, nothing in the living God because perfection doesn't change. We are all striving to get better, are we not? We're striving to be better in patience and love and kindness and charity and a host of other virtues. But God is perfect and he has always been perfect and he always will be perfect, so there's no need for growth. Growth is impossible with a God of perfection. And this is what we strive for, is to be like him in our Christian life. So here are these Judeans, they're under the powerful hand of the Babylonians, and they're wondering, where is God in the midst of this? Now let's um, go back a bit to Isaiah 40, and I want us to uh, recount several things that will lead us into this beautiful argument that we see in 12 to 26. Because we consider the good news of God's promise, which was verses 10 and 11, and what is that good news? Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his ruling arm, and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock, and in his arm he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead the nursing cues. So the good news of his promise, and what is it? He will offer a gracious reward. And starting really with the end of verse 9, as we even considered last week, say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. And you remember I told you that it is not translated here in the NASB, but actually is, there should be, behold your God. And then again he says, verse 10, behold the Lord uh, Yahweh. And then behold, his reward is with him. And what it's communicating is stop for a moment, consider, pay attention, God is here. Here is your reward. Here, here is the statement that he still loves you and he still cares for you. 
Here's your reality. Although you may feel a so overwhelming, and some of us in our lives, and perhaps even on a consistent basis, we may look around and see circumstances are overwhelming, but never with God. Is that not a truth that we can hold on to? Nothing overwhelms the living God. And so he has this gracious reward. And then notice he will offer gracious care. And I didn't touch on some of these last week, but let's do it now. Turn with me. Of course, let's go to the Psalms for a moment. Because the scripture tells us that clearly Yahweh is a shepherd. So when he comes like a shepherd, this is not unusual for God. He has always been a shepherd. He has been a shepherd of souls. Psalm 23 And as you know, Yahweh is my what? Shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He's with me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness' sake. Uh, Mark that thought. Um, Obviously, I'm not um, expositing Psalm 23, but I want you to mark that thought because it will come up again in this lesson for his name's sake. So all that God does has always been for his glory and his honor. Do you agree with that? Well, you must. This is the whole point of even our salvation, that he does everything to the praise of his glory. And then he says, I'm with you in the valley of the shadow of death. You comfort me. Uh, You're with me in in the presence of my enemies. There will be a table. You anoint me with oil. My My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So one might be able to say in verse 1, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want all the days of my life. That's what he's communicating. Look at Psalm 78. Psalm's another example of Yahweh as a shepherd. He is a, a caring shepherd. Yes, he comes with a ruling arm, but he cares for us tenderly. And this is a beautiful psalm because it goes throughout... Uh, in this psalm, giving account of God's faithfulness amidst of people who are unfaithful. And if you were to just to follow the psalm and just to circle all the verbal ideas through it, you would see it consistently. Say, for instance, let's just look at a few, beginning in verse 46. He gave their crops. He destroyed their vines. He gave over their cattle. He sent upon them burning anger. He leveled a path for his anger. He gave over their life to the plague. He smote all the firstborn of Egypt. But he led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So God does what? He stands in the gap for his people against um, the Egyptians, and then he guides the shepherd. He, they are his flock. Look over with me to Psalm 80. Psalm 80. And what does it say there? Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. And notice we see the tenderness of God here that he is a shepherd, but we see the brilliance of God and that he is the one that's enthroned above the cherubim, enthroned above the cherubim. Then our minds at least should go to Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw the Lord. And how did he see him? High and what? And exalted and lifted up. And this is what we'll see in Isaiah as well of the chief shepherd, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, and my servant will be high and lifted up. But yet he is what? We see the eminence of God, while at the same time we see the transcendence of God, the transcendence of God, this otherness of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of God, but we also see the eminence of God. He's with you. 
He cares for you. I know your needs. Cry out to me. So the person who is, has an incorrect view of God may only see him as a God that is transcendent but not imminent. The beauty of Christianity is that we see both. God in his transcendence but also God in his imminence. So he is a God that cares like a shepherd. Look with me to Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah 13. Jeremiah 13. And what do we see here in verse 17? 13, verse 17. And it says, But if you will not listen to it, my soul will sob in secret for such pride, and my eyes will bitterly weep, and my and flow down with tears because the flock has been taken captive. So the king and the queen mother take a lowly seat for your beautiful crown has come down from the head. The cities of Negev have been locked up and there is no one to open them. And all Judah has been carried into exile, wholly carried into exile. So he, there he refers to them as a flock, but now that flock has been taken away, if you will, uh, by wolves. But God is saying, I will come for you again and gather you again. So he offers gracious care, but he offers what we can say is he cares for them watchfully. Because go back to Isaiah, if you will, go back to Isaiah 40, and we say he cares for them watchfully. Uh, what is the basis of that? Notice what it says here. Like a shepherd, he will do what? Tend his flock. And the word really means he will feed his, he will feed his flock. Um, he watches over them. He needs. What else do we learn from this? He will intimately care. Then this is where he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. And I made a point last week, um, even the beautiful picture we see of God, he is one that comes with a ruling arm with might, to deliver his people, but he is also one that comes with tenderness to pick up his children. And that's so beautiful when you think about it for a moment. So the writer here has juxtaposed what? Here is ruling sovereign arm to what? Tender, intimate care. And so this is our God. And so this should comfort us. Not only should it be a comfort for the people of God, Uh, millenniums ago, but it should be a comfort for us today because this God remains the same God. He will indeed fight your battles, but he is the one that's there when you're wounded as well. He can tenderly care. That's interesting when we think about so many of these things when it comes to um, because when you think about a parent and and there are times when you have to chasten your child, Um, you know, timeouts, and and there was a point in time when we had to use obviously the rod of correction. Uh, And some people got the rod, you know, more than others. Um, But that same hand that you may have used for a rod of correction was the same hand that you reached out and said, come out of the street. I'll walk over on this side with me. And, uh, you know, when we go for a walk uh, with the kids, um, and I may have shared this with you before, but, you know, it's a, a, a word picture for you as we would go for a walk through the neighborhood and I would all the, here's the street, I would always have them on this side. And I remember as a little kid asking, why does dad do that? And one of them said for me, I don't know if it, which one it was, it said, so if the bad guys come, they have to go through you. I said, you're exactly right. Because if the bad guy, dad is here. <laughs> they have to answer with dad. Now, can you imagine for a moment if someone did pull up and say, hey, little kid, get in my car? Ooh. 
I can't even, oh, wow, just thinking about it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what I might do? No, don't imagine it. <laughs> he said, well, you're a Christian pastor, aren't you? Shouldn't you say, friend, I have a message for you. <laughs> oh, I have a, I'll give you the message after I deal with you. <laughs> friend, now I have a message for you. You thought this was a beat down. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen to you? <laughs> so the tenderness of God, amen. But he also does it purposely. Purposely. How is purposely? Notice the last part, and I just briefly mentioned it last week. Purposely, he will gently leave the nursing ones. He said purpose, yes, because what's interesting here, when it says gently lead them, why was it necessary? Let me give you a biblical illustration of this. Turn with me to Genesis 33. Genesis 33, and we see this here. Genesis 33, then verse 13. And then verse 13, and it says what? Um, Verse 12, then Esau said, let us take our journey and go, and I will go before you. Um, Of course, this is the episode, Jacob meets Esau, and they're thinking, I'm going to die, but it it doesn't happen that way. Um, Then it says, verse 13, but he said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail, and the flocks and the herds which are nursing are a care for me. And if they're driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord pass on before his servant, and I will proceed at my leisure according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. So what is he saying? The the lambs, the cattle, others, especially the small ones are nursing. They can't be driven too hard. So let's push them in a gentle way and really not push them. Let's just guide them along. That's so important. And um, so he says of God, this same God who has this ruling arm and he comes in might. He says he will gently lead. He does it with purposeful care. He understands the pace that they can keep. And so it's a beautiful picture of God. Go with me again to um, Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verse 71. And we noticed that already, that he is a God that watches over his people as a flock. Then in verse 1, again, he says, verse 69, we'll start there. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he has founded forever. He also chose David his servant. And took him from the sheepfolds. So we're going through the history of God's dealing with his people. Before we saw the episode where he delivers them from Egypt. Now he's establishing his people in their land. And he says, from the care of the hues, he says, with suckling lambs, he brought him to shepherd his people, Jacob, and Israel, his inheritance. So again, the picture is what? There is a tenderness that is needed with them. So go back to Isaiah 40. We see these images of God. He is surely one who has made these great promises. Uh, The scripture has already told us earlier, the Lord will be revealed. How do we know that the glory of the Lord will be revealed? Because in verse 5, it says what? The mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
And remember, as he deals with the, the differences of man and God in verses 6 to 8, man, they are like the flower of the field, but God is not. His word stands for how long? How long does it stand? It stands forever. So now, having in verses 1 through 11 said, here is my promise that I will indeed comfort you. Here is my promise that I will come again to you. Here is my promise that I will come for a shepherd. Still there was doubt. So he now, what he does, he will prove his case. In verses 12 to 26, if you still doubt that I will fulfill this, let me lay before you a case. Even um, it gets in sort of the, the language is sort of almost um, legal. Here is your position. Here is my statement. Here is your doubt. Here is my evidence. In verses 12 to 26, he says, I will keep my promises. How can you know this? Look at my character. Look at my character. And this is what we see in verses 12 to 26. Now, in the introduction, I posed several questions to you, and obviously they were intentional, because in this next episode here, this next passage, we see questions that are being posed, and then God is going to answer them. The people of God have their doubts, and he says, trust me, I will come to your aid. I mean, doubt can come in various forms. Um, Various means, something we've learned from verses 6 to 8, that man is not consistent. Unlike God, he is consistent. This is a message for Judah. This is a message for us today, that whatever circumstance we find ourselves, wherever we find ourselves in life, God's word is true. And so if you would meditate on that and believe that, then you can like it tells us in Isaiah 26 and 8, because in Isaiah 26 and 8, let's just turn back there briefly. Isaiah 26, 8, what does it tell us? Here is a great promise for you. It says, um, uh, t- verse 3, I'm sorry, t- verse 3, it says, The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace because... He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Trust in Yahweh forever. And this is why he's told us earlier, do not fear. Why fear? If you were to fear, the only way that one can overcome fear is to fear. Now, what am I saying? You must have the proper object. If I understand God, then whatever man says against me, uh, it will not intimidate me because I have a large view of God. And this is essentially what Isaiah is doing here in 12 to 26. You doubt? Why would you doubt when God's track record is this? Now, question for you, very practical. Um, You know, I think all of us are forever on, I shouldn't say forever, um, you know, shop Amazon because it's convenient. Two days, things are there. Sometimes the next day, um, I've been recently trying to purchase some things that I'm in this physical therapy for this hip issue that I have. So I purchased uh, a number of things and I get it and I return it. And um, I get it and I think this isn't working. One of them, it had 1,800 reviews, 1,800. And it was a four and a half stars. I think this is going to be great. And I get it. And I actually ordered two by mistake. Both of them were duds. Um, and I returned both. And things are a problem here. Either there's some serious quality control issues, and I generally don't write reviews because I don't have time for it, but this, I thought I should warn people. Either, <laughs> either there's some serious quality control issues, or people are just not objective. 
I wanted to say people are lying, but I didn't say that. <laughs> so I thought, okay, that track record, it, it still didn't work out. Then you go to someone else, and, and we do this all the time, do we not? You go somewhere to eat, what do you look for? Uh, how many of you yelp? You yelp, right? Have you ever gone to a place, ma, there's two stars, let's go. <laughs> you've, not, you've never done that, have you? You have never done that. And if you have, I mean, if, if I have to loan you some money because you're a little short, I'll do it for you because you see the one dollar sign, so you think you'll go. you not come out alive. No one does that. No one says, look, it has a terrible track record. Let's trust it. You don't do that, do you? Look for four and a half, 4.75, five if you can. Wonderful place. And this is, I won't mention the name, but it was a great experience. We love Mediterranean food. We found this place in Yelp. It had five stars with 500 reviews. We thought it's not possible. We went there. Excellent. We go there all the time. And some, some of you may have been to our house, and we've had food from the excellent. I have events, excellent food. I will continue to go back because of the track record. God has a track record. It is impeccable. Impeccable. Is there any person in this room, this very moment, that can say, the living God has let me down? person in this room, you can hear my voice and you can say, the living God was not faithful to me. Is there a person in this room that could say, it was indeed his fault and not my own? No, 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 no. Not possible. And so Isaiah says, why do you not trust him? Look at his track record. So God declares himself to be a faithful God. I will indeed come to you. I will indeed bring you out of exile. I will indeed build the cities again. My my servant will come. You will be rescued. Trust me. But here's the reality. Sometimes if there's too much time that goes by, we start to doubt again. So I want you to learn some things in this passage. And uh, here's some truths that we can learn. Look back with me at Isaiah 40 again, and notice a series of questions. As I present to you a series of questions, three questions before we began, notice the questions that are here. Verse 12, who has? Verse 13, who has? Verse 14, he says here, with whom did he consult? And then notice again, here's another question. Notice verse 18. To whom then will you? Verse 21. Do you not know? Verse 25. To whom then will you? And then verse 27. Why do you say? Verse 28. Do you not know? So he puts questions before Judah and says, here are the questions that are being presented. Don't you understand the answers? And he begins to provide the answers for them so that they can be comforted. So so I want to provide, I want us to give this overview of this section so that you can trust. So you know that the living God, the one who was the God of Judah and Israel, is still that faithful God even today. Number one, here it is. God's creative power is relevant for a life of faith. 
God's creative power is relevant for a life of faith. And remember, this is an overview, so I'm just going to whet your appetite for this, if you will. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hands and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills on a pair of scales? And he essentially says what? I will be faithful. Is there anyone that can do what I've done? Is there anyone that creates like I create? Some of you may, you follow me in the mornings. I get up early and I was out this morning doing my little run, run walk, if you will. And it was, it hadn't come over the hills quite yet. And by the time I was heading back, it was starting to peak itself over the hills. And I thought to myself again, who is the God that created this? <coughs> Yahweh. This is the one that I serve. And he can't deliver from a Babylonian? And the, 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 he measures the water in the hollow of his hand? I mean, think about that. All the oceans, all the seas, all the rivers, all the lakes, it's right there. Notice, if you will, a second truth. Divine wisdom is relevant for a life of faith. Verses 13 and 14. Uh, God will fulfill his promises, we should note this, in his way and in his time. This is often the struggle of the Christian life, isn't it? The doubting heart asks, why this way and why this time? So therefore, when we think about wisdom, and if wisdom is us skill, then we can say that when it, when it comes to divine wisdom, it is God skillfully ordering his creation for one objective that he would be glorified. Now, sometimes what happens is this. God's way of skillfully ordering his creation for his glory may conflict with our opinion of how things should go. Now, I know as well, I can answer that question for you as well. Some of you have thought, why did it have to happen this way? How long will it take? Why so much pain? Why the difficulty? Why the heartache? But God has a design. There's wisdom with God. Notice what he says. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who who is counselors that have informed him? With whom did he consult and gave him understanding? Who teaches him about justice and knowledge? Who gives him understanding? The answer is no one. He knows all things. His timing to deliver the people of God will be a perfect timing. I often think about that when it comes to salvation, don't you? I mean, how many of you, just a quick survey, how many of you were saved after age 20? All right, wow. Anyone after 40? Oh, we'll say 30. We'll say 30. After 30. All right, after 40. It's, it's interesting. It can go on, right? And I would just assume uh, I was saved at age 20 and still fairly young. But I, I do look back and say, Lord, why didn't you just save me at seven or five? Or uh, That would be wonderful. I wish that I could wipe out all the stupidity that I did for the years that I did. And particularly if someone comes to faith later in life and they lived a period of time in the world and a life that was so displeasing to God. And you say, why not earlier? God's sovereign plan. Or you go through life, a, a difficult spot in life, and you ask yourself, how long is this going to last? How long will I go through this difficulty? And the Lord says, okay, that's enough. And he stops it. This is the wisdom of God. He's a skillful God, is he not? Notice number a third truth. God's sovereignty over the nations is a source of comfort. Verses 15 to 17. The nations are like a drop from a bucket. They're like dust on the scales. They're not, even, they're not even able to be weighed. 
He lifts up the islands like dust. Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. The nations are nothing before him. They're regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. So for Judah, they would have thought, God, this is the Babylonian empire. How is it that we can be delivered from the Babylonians? He says, the nations are nothing to me. Uh, Remember, if you will, Egypt. You remember, if you will, the Philistines. You remember, and there's a recount, I've been successful in every, um, what's my word? I had it, (laughs) but it's gone. You know what I want to (laughs) say. That's all right. Senior, Senior moment. All right. Number four, fourth truth is this, Um, expedition, yeah. Um, Number four, God's sovereignty over idols is a truth that rebukes and instructs. Verses 18 to 20, what does it say here? To whom then will you liken me? And this is the first occurrence in the 40 to 48 section of liken, which we will develop as we go on. Oh, what likeness will you compare with me? So, Stop right there. Look at me for a moment. I know you want to keep reading. Um, what he's saying is this. Will you liken me to some other idol, some other God? No. Because remember, people of God would have been polluted as they had been in exile. And they would perhaps would have thought that they should call on other gods. And that's what got them in the situation in the first place, did it not? The northern tribes and the southern tribes, they were carried away because of what? Idolatry. And so God is saying to them, will you continue in your idolatry? What sense does this make? These gods are worthless gods. And notice what he says in verse 19. As for the idol of a craftsman, cast it. A goldsmith plates it with gold and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. The one who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. And he said, this is utterly ridiculous, which he develops later on in Isaiah. This makes no sense at all. So you go out and you find a tree and you have someone carve your God and you bow down to it. And this is what he said even in another Isaiah. This is utterly ridiculous that you would follow this God. You go out, you, you take a portion of a tree, you use some of it for wood to cook your meal, and the leftover wood you make into a, ga- a God, and it says you bow down to it and say, you are my God. That's senseless, utterly senseless. So your God that you think is a deity, your God that you think may be able to deliver you, your God that you think that controls all things, and your God that you think is the one that is the creator of the universe came from leftover wood. You say, utterly ridiculous. But sin can be that way, can't it? (laughs) Utterly ridiculous. It just makes man stupid. And this is what happens. It makes no sense whatsoever. And this is what he's saying. Here is another truth. Number five, God's control over leaps of confidence. Notice verses 21 to 24. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a, like a, twen- a tent to dwell in. He reduces rulers to nothing. 
who makes judges of the earth meaningless. And again, the question would be, what about these great leaders? What about these princes of the land? God, again, says they're nothing. So why would you fear men? Um, Proverbs 29, um, 15 tells us what? He says, the fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord. And we should be a people who would trust in God. Here's our sixth truth from this passage in our overview. It's number six, God's holiness is a testimony to his covenant faithfulness. Look at verses 25 and 26. So he says here, to whom then will you liken me? That I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Again, the first occurrence in this section, and we will develop that as it, we look forward. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Notice the last statement here. It is so important. And this is why I want to connect it to my statement. His holiness is a testimony to his covenant faithfulness. Or we might even say a guarantee to his covenant faithfulness. Notice what he says. How many of the stars are missing? Not one of them. So therefore, if God that has created the very heavens themselves, and they are countless in number, and if I know each one of them by name, and not one of them is missing, do you think I could miss you? <laughs> will, I, do I, will I miss one of you, my little lambs? Because the scripture tells us what about God. Remember the story of the hundred, and there's one that goes away, and what does he do for the one that goes away? He goes after. He knows that it's missing. I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, some or some of us are, I'm a, a mixture. I'm a sort of a merger of some urban, but I like the outdoors as well. Um, but, you know, you, you look at a, a flock of sheep and you say, I don't, I just see a flock of sheep. They all look the same to me. And especially if they're vast in number. I remember being in New Zealand and they're just everywhere, covered all over the land, just everywhere. And you think, would you even know? And the Lord says, not one of the stars is missing. So how much more is it true for you, my covenant people? I will bring you back again. I will restore you again. And the scripture is clear in this thought, is it not? It tells us of Jesus Christ he, as he teaches us from the gospel. Um, there is a heavenly father that we go to. And he says he knows every sparrow that does what? Every bird that hops on the ground. He knows the, the number of hairs on your head. He, he knows even the, just the, the lilies of the land. Nothing will be missing. Um, look with me, though. Um, Isaiah 41. This thought here is important for us even now. The Holy One of Israel. Um, Verse 16 of, verse, of chapter 41. Away, and the storm will scatter them, but you will rejoice in Yahweh. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. Look at verse 20. It comes up again, and it says that the land of Yahweh has done this, and the Holy One of Israel has created it. Look at Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 14 and 15. It says, thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon, and I will bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans, into the ships in which they rejoice. 
I am the Lord, the Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Look at Isaiah 45, Isaiah 45 and 11. And what does it say there? Thus says Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, and his maker, ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me of my hands. I have an answer. Look at Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47, then in verse 4, what does it tell us there? Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, our Yahweh of hosts, our Yahweh of armies, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. And then in 48, 48 verse 7, what does it tell us there? They are created now and long ago, and before today, it says, you have not heard them, so that you may say, behold, I knew them, he says. All things. And then in verse 17, it says, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you will go. His holiness guarantees it. His holiness, his distinction, pure character. He will make do on his word. Seventh truth is this. Go back to Isaiah 40. Here's the last truth in our overview here. A great truth, a message. Um, I have not, interesting enough, I've referenced 27 to 31 many times. But in all the years, I've not ever preached through it like 27 to 31. Like I've not preached through this before. Uh, because it's a, a passage that we hear often. And what does it say in 27? Let's read it. It says, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice do me escapes the notice of my God? So essentially, don't you see what's happening to us? What about the justice that you said you would bring about? Verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, Yahweh, the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired, his understanding is inscrutable. And, of course, the Scripture tells us um, in Psalm, what is it, 121, uh, that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. Amen? He is always available to us. So the gods of the land, uh, they will sleep and slumber. Men, they're like grasshoppers. They will sleep and slumber. The nations come and go, but God is always consistent. And then notice what he says. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. What is he ultimately saying here about getting uh, strength like the wings of an eagle? It all ties into the argument. Judah, here's a promise to you, verses 1 to 11. I will indeed come to you again. Judah, 12 to 26, if you doubt that I can't do it, look at my track record as a great creator. Then he says, Judah, you may get tired. And when you wait on him, I will give you strength. And if there's not something that has import for us today, I don't know what is. Because there are moments in our lives when we surely must do what? We have to wait on the Lord, do we not? And when we wait on the Lord, we can see the Lord deliver us according to his way and his timing and for his glory. I think all of us would say there have been times in life if we had, if we had our own way, it wouldn't have been the best outcome. And if it was according to our timing, it would not have been the best outcome. 
because we had something in our mind. We thought if it simply happens now and in this way, that would be the best course of action. Not so. At times we may get it right, but often we do not. We have to wait on the Lord, this capable who will fulfill every promise to you. And I don't know what that is for you in life. But I know there are promises that we all have. Jesus Christ will come again, and we look forward to that day, do we not? We know that one day the heavens will be opened up, and he will come again, and he will make all things right. We know that to be true. We know here's a promise. We know that when we die, we are translated immediately into the very presence of God. I know that to be true. But this life, how it's ordered, the heartache that I feel sometimes, the pain that I feel, the times when I have to wait, I have no exact answer for that because there is none. But there is an exactness to God. And I can say to you today that trust him. Do not fear. God is faithful. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your us. And even as we consider these lofty thoughts and we look forward to a time that we can go further into them, help us to begin to think about them even now and ask the questions we should about how they affect our lives. In Christ's name, amen.